But let's dive in John chapter 14. But to begin with, the late Christian apologist G.K. Chesterton once said this, and it'll be on the screen for you. Tolerance is the virtue of the man without convictions. Welcome to Redeemer City Church. (laughs) We're so glad that you're here. You're like, oh, you picked a non-controversial topic today. We've been talking for weeks about love, right? We've been talking about the fact that God is love. John 3.16, perhaps the most famous verse on love the world's ever seen. For God so what? The whole what? Right, that He gave His only Son. It's powerful. And it's true. And it really happened. And he did it, right? We, Kenny and I have talked for years that a lot of times we read 16, we forget 17, right? That he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, right? And so we believe that. And this John 14 comes on the heels in the same gospel letter as John chapter 3. Jesus, in John 15, next week, is going to say, Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends, and he has called you his friends. Wow! All true. What does that truth look like for your soul, though? What, what does that look like? Look at the beginning of John 14. I love this. It says, let not your heart be troubled. We could go around the room today and every single one of us, myself at the top of the list, could give all of the things that are troubling my heart, that are troubling your heart. And there would be plenty. And most of them legitimate. But look what he says. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to be with myself where I am going also. And you know the way to where I am going. Now, before we get to Thomas's response, it's important for us to think about this. Don't be troubled. God is preparing a place for his kids and he himself will see that you get there. There isn't a greater anchor for your soul than that. That no matter what is taking place in all the world, no matter what's taking place in your life, in your neighbor's life, in anyone's life, that the bottom of the truth is simply that God has prepared a place, He's provided a way, and He will Himself see that you get there. At a base level... That solves all of our problems for eternity. But, what does that look like today? You see, because I don't think the gospel is just a gospel for the future, for eternity, for the then. I think it has a lot to do with now, and I think there's an amazing reality that we get to participate in Now, but I'll be honest with you, this text caught me by surprise because it seems like in verse five and following, Jesus puts on the brakes and takes a hard right. 
At least it seemed that way and it makes sense by the time you get to the end of it. But to start out saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. That's great. And it's good news. But what he does next is very interesting. At least the way we've been conditioned in our own secular moments, cultural values. And, and the reason I started with Chesterton's quote is because one of the greatest, if not the greatest value that our culture places today is tolerance. Now, I'm not going to jump on this like you might think I'm about to jump on this. All right? I'm not going to pick my pet peeve and go after it. Okay? But I do think it's important for us to think this through. Because if culture was to rewrite John 15, if our secular moment was to rewrite John 15, I think it would go something like this. That greater love has no person than this. That this person would celebrate whatever this person wants to be and do, and then celebrate what every other person wants to be and do. The problem with that is that you can't do that. Because what happens is what happens when I'm celebrating what I want to be and do, and it suddenly conflicts with what you want to be and do. You see, no matter how much we try to walk away from there being a standard of truth, we can't. And the reason is because we were made for that. God made us, and He gets to define the rules. And so, we can't walk away from that, because what happens when that contradicts itself? Maybe Chesterton was on to something, and I want to ask you a question this morning. And I want you to ponder it, and then... What we're not going to do is go after our secular moment. What we're going to do is we're going to go after us. Okay? Fair enough? You ready? Come on. You ready? All right. All right. You gave me permission to step on your toes. I just want you to know that. All right? But here's the question. Am I more tolerant than God? Am I more tolerant than God? Are you more tolerant than God? Answer might surprise you. In our quest to be loving of all people, we can slip into this precarious worldview of being tolerant, not of people. We are pro-tolerance of people. I just want you to hear me say that. I don't care what you're going through, what your beliefs are, what you're dealing with, what you are struggling with, what you do that you're not struggling with because you're fine with it. I don't care where you are on that show. You're welcome here. We want you here. Not just you're welcome here. We want you here. We want everybody here because I think Jesus is the answer for everything. It's a reason it's the Sunday school answer. I think the gospel is good news for everybody. And we don't need to change anybody because the Holy Spirit's really good at His job. So we don't have to worry about that. But... What Scripture doesn't allow us to be is tolerant of everything that people do. Now, what I'm not saying is that you should police everything that people do. What I am saying is you should start by policing everything that you do. Right. I should start with policing everything that I do, right? Because Jesus, not surprisingly, says it better than everybody else. 
He says, I am not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that all should come to eternal life. And we rightly major on God not being willing that anyone should perish, that we should be majoring on that. But what is the implication of that text? That people are perishing. That there, there actually is a way, Jesus says, that leads to death. And he actually says most people find that path and most people don't find the narrow path that leads to life. But the beauty of it is, and the reason we have kingdom cards, and Pastor Tim did a great job reminding us of that, the reason is because God left us here for that, First Corinthians. You are, I am, his ambassador. He's making his appeal to the world through you and me. So, we are supposed to help people find the narrow road that leads to life. Often, though, we're picketing on the wide road, telling people what they're doing is wrong, instead of letting people know that there's a way that leads to life. Does that make sense? So let's police ourselves this morning for just a bit. Because... There's really nothing loving about tolerating sin. I'd venture to say that you and I don't actually love people, the people sitting in this room, if we aren't willing to talk about our sin, if we aren't willing to take our mask off and get help. We aren't loving people if we aren't and won't tell them about Jesus. Right When Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation, he wasn't ashamed of that. We don't need to be ashamed of that. In our secular moment, we don't need to be ashamed of that. It's still the best answer for life. And it always will be. But I think what gets in our way is sin. It's sin. And not just other people out there and their sin. My sin. Your sin. John Owen famously said, and it will be on the screen for you. It's a good one. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And so we let Jesus define the terms. How does one become right with God? How do we get to heaven someday? How do we flourish here and now? If Jesus told his followers and left it in his word for us that he's going away to prepare a place with many rooms and that he's going to come back and take us where he's going, what do we do with that? Look at the rest of the beginning of John 14 here. Starting in verse 5 and following. Here's what. Thomas says back to him, right? What do we know Thomas for? What what do we call him? We call him what Thomas? Doubting Thomas, right? So here's Thomas. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? It's like, Thomas, you haven't been paying attention, right? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And how many people come to the Father outside of Jesus? How many? No one. This is where I have asked the question of us, are we more tolerant than God? There is only one way that leads to life. 
There's only one way that leads to human flourishing. And the place where the gospel is intolerant is where believing something else will lead you to death. Really important because we don't believe that faith is one mountain and all roads lead to the top. We don't believe that. And it would be unloving for me to stand here and tell you that. Because it's not true. There's only one God. There's only one Jesus. There's only one way to the Father. And it's through Jesus. And it is in that instance, that's the only intolerant part of the gospel. But it's intolerant because it's loving. Because we want people to experience life. See, Jesus said that He's the way, the truth, and the life. But what he said about that life is that I have an abundant life available to you. And we want everybody to find it. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have what? Seen him. So this is the distinction that the Bible makes where others deviate. Jesus claims to be God here. He says, I and the Father are one. We are, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is Christianity in a nutshell. We believe that Jesus is God. Super important for the rest of the faith that we believe. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, right? So Philip said to him in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Man, what a question for us. Have you been in church for so long and you still don't know me? Have you gone to small groups for so long and you still don't know me? Have you been a good little boy and girl and done your quiet time all these years and you still don't know me? Why? Because Jesus isn't interested in what we're doing for him. He's interested in us. And then he's interested in working through us. Right? Huge difference. So, verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Back to that belief thing again. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on account of the works themselves. Listen, we flourish in this life right now by believing in Jesus. He is God. It's the key distinction of Christianity. And we unapologetically believe that. But, we also believe that it's really good news that that's true, not bad news. Right? One more word to those of us who are part of Redeemer City Church. Why do I major on this? Why do I hit that hard this morning for us? I hit it hard because I think we all struggle with the same stuff. It's going to flesh itself out differently depending on who your family is, who your neighbors are, who your co-workers are, who's in your city group, who's all the things, right? Your circumstances of life your anxieties of life that Scripture talks about, are going to change the way this fleshes out for you. But at the end of the day, I think we all struggle. How do I love people 
and prove to them that I love them when I believe something different than them. Right? Maybe you're not speaking up about your faith. Maybe you're not being his ambassador because we do live in a secular moment that it is awkward to believe some of the things that we believe. And we can acknowledge that. Our, our worldview through the lens of Scripture doesn't approve of some of the things that our secular moment says are freedom. We actually believe that your freedom is not getting to do what you want to do. It's doing what God has made you to do. That's freedom. Doing what you are intended for. If I try to use a hammer to wash my children at night, they're not going to feel like that's freedom, but just because I wanted to. Right? Like, we understand this in day-to-day life, Right? But for some reason, when it comes to our life, we want to be God. We want to play God. But that's never good. We don't make a good God. And so how do I do that? How do I, how do I not needlessly offend people with my faith and yet still hold to my beliefs? How do I do that? But maybe more importantly, and maybe the thing that gets in the way the most, is how do I stop sinning? <laughs> Sin is an archery term, right? It means to miss the mark. To miss the mark means that there was a mark to hit. Right? That there is this narrow way that leads to life. I want to encourage all of us that are like that today. And I think it's more of us than that are not. It isn't our job to make everyone like us. Just let that set you free today. Right? You don't need to make everyone like you. You don't have to lead them to your beliefs. What we are offering to people is Jesus. Because we believe that Jesus can handle his own business. Right? We are not called to change people. To be an ambassador to another country is not to change that country into America, is it? No. We represent America to that country. We are God's ambassadors. Listen, don't get confused. We bring nothing to the table when it comes to salvation, right? Dead people don't do anything. When you're dead in your trespasses and sins and then God makes you alive together with Him in the Spirit, that's not because you suddenly figured it out. (laughs) No, we need Jesus all day, every day. Right? So we don't need to needlessly offend people. But you should also know that there will come a moment when you will be asked to explain your worldview. And you just don't need to be afraid of that. You don't need to be ashamed of that. It's been true for thousands of years and it's still true and it's going to be true for the rest of eternity. It's the needlessly offending part that we all struggle with. Right? The reason we pray for people, serve people, spend time with people, and then offer Jesus to people is because we love people. Jesus gives us a big clue about this in his letter to the churches in Revelation. And in Revelation 2, specifically to a church in a place called Thyatira, which is in modern day Turkey, in Revelation chapter 2 verse 19, he says these words, all right, follow them on the screen with me. He says, I know your works. 
I know your love, I know your faith, I know your service, I know your patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. He says, I can see you doing all the things that you're supposed to do. Look at verse 20. But I have this against you. Come on, you're in a bad place if God sees everything you're doing and still has something against you, aren't you? (laughs) Here it is. That you what? What's it say? Tolerate. There's our word. That you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who, by the way, wasn't still alive. She was Old Testament. So it's this spirit of Jezebel. It's this deception of Jezebel. It's Satan's strategy who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Isn't it interesting that here you have a church in a secular city, in a secular environment, tolerating being seduced by the worldview of the day. Notice he says... That you tolerate the seducing of my servants to practice these things. I think a lot of times we're willing to read that scripture and stop at you tolerate this prophetess, this secular worldview. That's not what it says. This is not permission to step into the world and get on your soapbox. That's not what it says. What does it say? It says you tolerate this woman Jezebel seducing my servants. Right? We're not being called here to fix the world. We're being called here to fix ourself. Why is that? Because Jesus is going to tell us in John 17 what will draw the world to him. And it's not not tolerating their worldview. No, no, no. It says in John 17, in a couple of weeks when we get there, it says, by this will all men know that you love me by your love for one another. So here we are back to this place where am I dealing with myself and are we loving each other? Because we can do, what, what does it say in Revelation? We can do all the works out there, but if it hasn't changed in here, We call that hypocrisy, right? To say you believe one thing, but to never act on it, right? Super important. I've heard it said that there's three options when it comes to the Bible, right? Three options when it comes to truth. That you can accept it, reject it, or change it. The question is, what will you do? That's your choice. Will I be more tolerant than God? Not of people, but of my sin. See, that's really what it boils down to is, who am I? Who am I becoming? Have I, if I've surrendered to the Lord, is, does He get the final say in my life? We sing these songs. The cross has the final word, right? It's a great song. It gives you all the feels. We're going to sing it again with communion here in a second. But, what does that mean? The cross has the final word over sin and death, right? But what are we, before we come to Christ, dead? And Christ makes us alive. 
not to relive what was dead. You picking up what I'm laying down? (laughs) Super important for us because that is what actually affects your daily living. If you're not happy, if you're not seeing Jesus, if you're not experiencing this abundant life, it's not because he's moved away, right? And he might, like the prodigal son, he might be like the father standing on the porch looking for you every day saying, come on back, come on back. I'm here, I'm waiting, I'm going to gird my skirt up, my robe up, and I'm going to run to you. He's there. But we don't need to be tolerant of things that are contrary to the will and way of God. We must be tolerant of people. But we don't have to tolerate what is not godly. In fact, the very next verse in Revelation 2, verse 21 says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Not Jezebel, the church. The church. Right? This, this was a letter to the church in Thyatira. Jesus is perhaps the most tolerant person there has ever been. <laughs> and ever will be. If I were him, I'd given up on you. And me. But thanks be to God that He is tolerant, that He is gracious, that He is loving, slow to wrath, not willing that anyone should perish. But here it is, that all would come to repentance, 2 Peter 3.9. So now we come to the communion table with a completely different view. What does it mean, don't let your heart be troubled? Believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. In my house there are many rooms. God's tolerant. He's inclusive. But only through one way. There's only one door into the house. Jesus. Don't let your heart be troubled is an invitation in itself to trust in Jesus. The gospel. We come to the communion table, the broken body and blood of Jesus shed for us to pay for sin and 1 Corinthians 11 reminds us to examine ourselves so that we don't take the body and blood in an unworthy manner and so the the invitation there friends is is there sin in your life that we wouldn't flippantly come to the table we wouldn't flippantly come to the broken body and blood of Jesus but that we would see and name our sins, right? First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repentance involves a realigning of my life to the truth. The good news of the gospel is Romans 5.8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I love what the poet, Gerard Manley Hopkins, so eloquently reminded us. He said at the beginning of one of his poems, he said, The world is charged with the grandeur of God. You don't have to convince people that God is out there. There's a reason it's been the most debated topic of all time. (laughs) 
Because he's there. And the human heart knows he's there. But what brings my mind so easily to the place of repentance, the place of letting go of who I am and what I want to be, is simply the grandeur of God. If I have a right view of God, if I am that in love with Jesus, if I know that God loved me first so that I could love Him, it's so much easier to turn from the things that I want to do and not do them and follow Him. You're not going to do it just because you think you're supposed to. You don't need me to stand up here and tell you what you're supposed to do and turn from and all the things. No, 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 no. That we love God because He first loved us. And everything flows out of that. The Holy Spirit who seals you into the kingdom of God and into His family is the one who will move in and rearrange the furniture. I don't need to do that for you. Just surrender to Him. It's easy to repent of my will and way, of my sin. When I know the goodness and grandeur of God. That He would love me when He didn't have to. But He does. And everywhere I go, He's there. It makes 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 17, which will be on the screen for you, even more astonishing. It says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Right? We're going to hand you a wafer. We're going to hand you juice. But something supernatural takes place when we gather as the body of Jesus around His broken body and blood. Something happens there. We participate with Him. Is not the bread that we break. Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread and so if you're a follower of jesus today we invite you to take communion with us if you're not we'd encourage you not to until you've crossed the line of faith until jesus calls you to himself till he makes you alive with him which is an amazing place to be and so i'm going to have the band come up i'm also going to ask pastor tim and pastor jerome if they'd go grab the elements and just begin to pass them out to you but while they're passing them out i want to encourage you to take this minute this two minutes and examine yourself that you would take maybe what is the only two minutes of silence you will get all week if you have kids and talk to the lord Invite the Holy Spirit. Listen, you don't need a good talk every week. You need Jesus. That's why we have the talk every week. But you need Jesus. You don't need to remember what I've said. You need to do business with Jesus. And so we do that. I'll just say it this way. If there's somewhere God promises to show up and participate with me, that's where I want to be. Amen? If I know that God's going to be somewhere and He's going to participate with me, I want to be in that place. And so as you wait for your elements, I just encourage you to pray.
I'm going to give you a couple minutes here to pray. If you're watching online, I encourage you to pray with us as well. And just take this moment as we listen to the instruments, listen to the music, and partake of the body and blood of Jesus together here in just a moment.